always had like a financial stability. Like I always made sure that I wasn't out there spending all of my money and being an idiot, but I immediately started traveling. So me and my best friend were traveling physical therapists and we took different uh, contracts every three to six months. And we lived like queens. <laughs> That's actually not true. We lived like kings um, in women's bodies. And we were crushing it. We were just like making a ton of money, paid off all of our student loans and like had the time of our life. And in between contracts, we would go travel. So we were like, went to Nepal or India and then would come back and like work for six months and then go to Greece. And um, I really like, I really feel like I, it was all because of this underlying like, well, this like this won't last forever, you know? And like people are always, oh, like old people, like don't like travel when you're young. Well, I like take that advice and I run with it. I'm like, yup, you want me to travel? Okay. Like you want me to experiment? Okay. Like what else should I do? You know, the whole like live life with no regrets. Like I actually kind of do feel that way. I don't have any. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and we are waking up and shaking up the world of endurance sports, and we love when we get to connect with others who are doing the same. Today, we are sharing the mic with Instagram sensation, comedic content creator, and storyteller, Laura Green. Laura has taken the running world by storm through her comedic reels that asks all runners and running companies to lighten up. In any given video, she is poking fun at herself, others, major running brands, or all three. She is a lifelong athlete who we hear was a standout in everything she endeavored, including a unique artistic expression she coined, air violin. She is an OG November Project coach, physical therapist, and runner. Laura is also the originator of Folktale Film, where she creates family films, legacy videos, and brand features. She's an East Coaster, wife to Connor, and mom of two abnormally large young boys. And with that said, I think it's time we dive in with a woman who is teaching us all to laugh a hell of a lot more each day. Laura Green, thank you, and welcome to the show. What an intro! That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I was like, well, if I'm going to poke fun at somebody's children, I think she's the one. And I did, by the way, get that from your website. It's true. It's all written there. It's fact. Yeah. And I have never laid eyes on these children, so I can't gauge if they are abnormally large. But how's it all working out? Are they falling into their size? Where are they on the range? The, the four-year-old is like, like, like tall, but nothing crazy. Um, the 18 month old is in three T clothing. So he's big. He's a big boy. (laughs) (laughs) He's getting ready to get his license. He's like, I'm going to be like share clothes. They're two and a half years apart and they're sharing clothes. I'm like, this is off, but okay. (laughs) All right. So let's get started with, uh, how you got started with these, with these reels and, and you have, you're so much more than the reels. Okay. Like I've did some digging and you've really created some beautiful brand, um, brand features and family videos. And, and that was really fun to just dive in and watch all of those. And you really are a quite a talented artist, but where, when do you begin to bring these reels? When does this start to birth through you? Um, really not until like May of last year, June, like this is, this is new. And so, um, I was only making videos and like short films since last September, September, 2021. Um, and so I was doing kind of like the family film legacy video thing, which was fun, but not, it wasn't, it wasn't my real voice. Um, I kept wanting to like enter the run space and I was like doing it in a way that I thought it was supposed to be done. Right. So like the beautiful shots, the silhouettes, the slow-mo and like the way that almost every single run video is done and it's beautiful and there's nothing like against it. It's just, A, I was like, it's already being done and doing, and people are doing it better than me. So like, is there even space for me in this 
area right now? Like, is there even a need for me to enter this space? Um, but I was convinced <laughs> and it's through like talking to my friends that like, not convinced, maybe that's not the right word, but I was motivated to lend my voice <laughs> in terms of like providing my point of view. So I would see these beautiful filmmakers who have this expertise in film and videography taking on run films that are not runners. And I was like, well, they don't understand the story behind this runner. And I am the runner. So like, how would I have done this differently and given it a different point of view? Um, so I started toggling and like playing around with all of that. Um, but still like the serious stuff, just like, I just never did it that well. And I think it, I think we know why now. And that's because it's like truly not, um, it's never been my like point of view as a runner. So like, what was I doing out there trying to do it? Um, so anyways, a friend of mine who is a really close friend and one of my best running friends um, was like, it's time. <laughs> so I was like, what are you talking about? It's time to get in front of the camera. That's not actually how Sasha sounds, but that's how I heard it. Um, she was like, just try and do a couple comedy reels and it's so funny because she's not even someone who would ever do that. So like, I thought she would be one of the first people to make fun of me for doing that. But here she was encouraging me to do it. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. But everyone's going to make fun of me. <laughs> All my friends are going to make fun of me. And I'm sure they did. And I'm sure they are. I'm sure there's a whole group text, you know, <laughs> out there in the world, just making fun of every one of my videos. Um, but I was shockingly not as embarrassed as I thought I was going to be. And so then I just kept doing it. <laughs> well, what was it like putting up the first one? Like, what was it that like, you actually like, you're hitting like post? Yeah, the first, so the first one I made was, it was actually pretty exciting. I, because also like, I had no concept of like, what was a good reception? Like, what are good analytics? What's a good viewer number? And, um, I think I hit 20,000 and I was like, this must be a record. Nobody has hit 20,000. Like, but it's because I had like a thousand followers and I like did, wasn't doing this as my profession. Um, but I really enjoyed the process of making it. I use my very expensive camera. Like it wasn't done on a phone. It was done with microphones and like in the woods with like tripods. And, um, I loved like the process of it all and of editing it and like trying to get it down under 90 seconds and making the cuts as fast as you can to go one joke into the next. Um, it was no longer about just making it a beautiful, like I did want it to still be aesthetically pleasing, if that makes sense. Like, I still do carry a lot of pride in the fact that like I made that one that was like making fun of New England fall and I sent it to a friend and he goes, well, the joke's kind of on you because this is like a beautiful video. <laughs> and I'm like, but I still love that too, right? The fact that like I can still capture like the beauty of running, but I'm doing it in a funnier way um, than I was before. Um, so yeah, just like just posting those first few and like getting the reception that I did that, I mean, those still are some of my highest views viewed videos, like those first few ones. Um, and so I was like, Oh, this is fun. And like, it's kind of like any other social media thing. Like you get that dopamine hit and you're like, Oh yeah, this is awesome. Look at all this. Look at all this attention. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Um, if the voice of, of your ego has chimed in and pumped you up or taken you down throughout this experience or both. <laughs> I think, I actually think neither. I, I'm pretty like, um, I'm pretty good at like looking at this whole hysterical eight months and just laughing at it and being like, this is so stupid. It's all fake. Everything's fake. You know, like, um, so like even like the likes that I get, the comments, the people who are like, this is so funny. Like, I don't think that I'm any funnier than I thought I was nine months ago, if that makes sense. You know, like, I, I don't think that I'm like a, like a high caliber comedian and, uh, I'll be the next Michelle Wolf. You'll see me out there on stages everywhere. Like I, I have no false sense of reality. I'm pretty grounded in, what, what my, what my life is. And, um, 
I don't know. I, I've said this on other podcasts, but like, I feel really lucky that I'm 36, about to be 37. And like, I'm coming into this now as opposed to being 24. Um, I think the experience would have just been way different, but I'm super grounded by my family and even like my siblings, like they think I'm the biggest idiot on the planet. And so like that kind of helps because like, <laughs> they're like, they're like, why are, what, why are people watching your videos? You're not even funny. I'm like, I know. And so that's why it's all kind of a big joke because like, I'm not even that funny. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, I, I also like from the videos that don't do well or the people that comment and they, they're like, this is not funny. Or they like drop into my DMS to let me know how not funny I am. Um, that also hasn't swayed me either. Like that hasn't affected me at all, which I feel really happy about because that's a miserable way to exist. So, um, yeah, my ego has n- neither been inflated or deflated. <laughs> it's stable. <laughs> So you had to, you had said something about like a false sense of uh, reality or something like that where you were just talking, but I've also heard you talk about the false illusion of time and that that was a bit of a waking up moment for you. Can you go into, go into more detail on that? I don't remember when I said that. I don't remember what I was talking about. Great. Nice. Like in terms of like, I just handed that, awesome. to, I just handed this beautiful subject matter to you. <laughs> I, I, I know. Hand, I know. Like hand it right over. It was in a video where you were talking about um, your job, and you were leaving your job. <laughs> Should we? Do you want a minute? Should you pull it up? <laughs> <laughs> it was during the pandemic when people were coming into the hospital and they weren't leaving, and like the, you talked about this like false illusion of time. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for uh, research guiding me into my own quote. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, it was beautiful. Like it was like the highlight of the conversation. So take it from here. You'll learn quickly. I black out during these things. So I actually don't even really know what I'm saying. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah. They, I mean, I think, I think, okay, we're 35 plus. I don't know how old you guys are, but you get to a certain point in your life where, um, okay, this is fucked up, but I'm about to go to more funerals than weddings. And it's kind of just the reality of life. It's how life like marches on. And I've always kind of been in that headspace from working at a hospital or home care. Um, you're kind of like more surrounded by like the reality of death. Um, but it's not until it like really hits close to home that it like really strikes you as um, kind of fucks with your head. But yeah, I think that like in terms of like when I don't, was I talking about it in terms of career at all? Yes. <laughs> you got that one. <laughs> you had a green, you had a, you had a green sweater on with some puffy sleeves. It was actually, that was actually, I think the bravest part of the video. Oh, yes. My beautiful sweater. Anyways. um, No, yeah. I I think that like we all just think we have more time than we do. That's that's kind of like a classic cliche thing, but so true. And I think um, for me personally, we've had some um, some loss in our family and kind of like some con like some challenging times too with family members and their health and nothing quite puts anything into perspective more than death and especially untimely death. And the pandemic, I think hit us all in different ways, but I think that's one pretty, uh, pretty uh, common theme throughout. Like, even if you didn't experience it in your close family, you watched it on the news every freaking day. And, um, so yeah, so I think that just like in terms of like leaving your legacy or like spending time with the people who you, you freaking love, um, I think that we all just kind of believe that we we have more time. And so that was like a big part of like starting the legacy videos is like giving people the opportunity to say what they want to say to their family before they you no one knows when they're gonna die. Nobody knows. Um I actually haven't told anyone this other than our close friends, but we got in a terrible car accident after Thanksgiving this year. And with the boys in the back, totaled our car. And it was traumatic, like incredibly traumatic. Everyone walked away, t- like 
semi-fine, <laughs> um, but like emotionally not so good. And um, it just, it's another one of those things, one of those flashes where you're just like, well, that could have just ended all of us or or one of us. And in which case I would have been done, like, if you know. Um, and it's just another example of just like, yep, you don't know what's happening. You're not, you do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so do what makes you happy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You- and record it. <laughs> And film it and say it. (laughs) And remember it. And remember it. (laughs) Try not to black out when you say things. (laughs) I think you have, you, you must like, this is a, this is a, have you always been appreciative of time or are these, are these opportunities that you've, you've seen more recently and then taken action on? I'm like, okay, things that would have been a big deal are no longer a big deal and other things where you feel compelled to like act on it where maybe you would have delayed now that you act you act instantaneously on it without without thinking yeah i i would say yes and no i mean i'm just like i'm human so like i take time for granted too and like i i can get caught up on little small shit and i can also like go to bed every night and like forget to like say, I love you to my husband. You know, it's like, I, you like take every single night for granted. Cause you just assume you'll wake up the next morning. Um, I'm, I'm just like that, like everyone else. And then you have these life altering moments that like shake you, but then you also kind of fall back into it eventually. Um, but I do think that I have had this somewhat, Okay, so I had this conversation with uh, my teammate, Davian Sherman, if you're listening. <laughs> I know she's not listening. Um, but anyways, she, uh, in college, we we had this, I remember this distinct conversation where we were probably shit-faced or high or something. And we were like, I can't imagine myself as a grandparent. And I was like, me either. And so like people like kind of like always picture themselves getting old or growing old with someone. And we both had the same feeling of being like, I don't, I don't know how long I'll live. Like, and it wasn't because I was living recklessly or I had illness in my family. It was just this gut feeling of like, I don't actually know how long I have here. And maybe it's because we're both in healthcare. I have no idea what it was, but it was just like this gut feeling. And, um, so when we graduated, I I remember fe- like continuing to feel this way. And I always had like a financial stability. Like I always made sure that I wasn't just like, you know, out there spending all of my money and being an idiot. But I immediately started traveling. So me and my best friend were traveling physical therapists and we took different uh, contracts every three to six months. And we lived like queens. <laughs> That's actually not true. We live like kings um, in women's bodies and we were crushing it. We were just like making a ton of money, paid off all of our student loans and like had the time of our life. And in between contracts, we would go travel. So we were like, went to Nepal or India and then would come back and like work for six months and then go to Greece. And um, I really like... I really feel like I, it was all because of this underlying, like, well, this, like, this won't last forever, you know? And like, people are always, oh, you know, well, when, like, like old, old people, like, don't like travel when you're young. Well, I like take that advice and I run with it. I'm like, yup, you want me to travel? Okay. Like you want me to experiment? Okay. Like what else should I do? You know? Um, so I like, the whole like live life with no regrets. Like I actually kind of do feel that way. I don't have any big ones, maybe little ones of like, I regret hurting people along the way, (laughs) (laughs) of course. Um, But other than that, I don't have like big regrets. Um, Yeah. And will you instill that in, in your, in your children too? Like go out, go travel, go. No, they're never allowed to leave me. It's e- it's easy to take the yeah. the advice and run with it, but as soon as your your son says like I'm going to Nepal, like you know I'm going to leave college, yeah. or I don't know what I'm going to do. Totally. I just recently talked to my mom about this. I was like, I can't believe because my parents do not travel, um, and so it was shocking to me that like when I was like I'm going to Africa for a few months, my like my mom was like I'm a little nervous, a little worried about you, but like 
this was also in a time where like we didn't have cell phones that like could like really travel internationally, you know, like once you left the US, it's like, it's like it blew up in your hand. And so I would go weeks without like even sending my mom an email. And I was like, it's fine. And now I think about it and I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) there was an earthquake in Nepal when I was there. And like, I didn't even email my mom after that. Like she probably saw it on like CNN. (laughs) Like I hate myself, but I asked her about it and I was like, were you like scared and like nervous? Were you like kept up at night, like wondering where I was? And she's like, no, Laura, you were the third of five kids. I didn't have time. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe that's the answer. Have a bunch of kids. So you have like some insurance and some, um, some, uh, some distractions. Um, but yeah, I, I, I hope they travel. I hope they see the world and I hope I can sleep at night (laughs) while I do it. Because I got into myself into some crazy situations, but my parents never knew about it. And I hope that they don't ever tell me about it. I don't want to know. Uh, <laughs> but I got into some like, like, like some of my travels were wild, wild. Can you share? Can you yeah, share? Let's, let's hear one. Can you share a, a wild experience? <laughs> um. Well, okay. Yeah. I was just talking about this the other day. I, when we were in Nepal, we were volunteering, um, at a hospital in Pokhara, which is kind of like the starting point, one of the starting points, jumping off points, I guess, for the Annapurna circuit. And um, so it's like kind of like a climbing town and um, it's really beautiful. Anyways, we're in this house and like your whole... (laughs) Nepal is very safe and the people there are incredible. Um, But don't show up there expecting anyone to speak English. And so you, to get to the hospital every day, I had to like like a nondescript van with like one window would like roll down the street. There was a bunch of them, but one, you would have to know kind of like what speed it would be going and they would swing the door open. And while it was still moving, you would jump into this van. (laughs) And as like a 24 year old American white female, like who's kind of an idiot. Um, who knew where that van was taking me? <laughs> and it was a lot of fingers crossed. Let's try and get to the hospital. And for the most part, I think they just assumed that like, cause we were both a bunch of, um, Aussies, Kiwis and Europeans. And so we're all white. And, um, and I think that just like they assumed the white people were going to the big hospital. And so like, let's just bring them to the hospital. <laughs> um, but yeah, like just kind of like getting into a lot, I got into a lot of cars. I got into a lot of vans over the years uh, and I've ended up in like just like neighborhoods and stuff that I definitely didn't belong out of my own bloody ignorance and just very lucky, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's just like one of the examples of like, my mom knew this is how I was like commuting. (laughs) Yeah, that's very reminiscent. I was in, uh, it was in India in 2009 and before I went, people would say to me, like, if there's, if there's a country you don't want to get stuck in, like you don't want to get stuck in India because they like haven't updated their laws since like, you know, BC. And, and, um, so, you know, of course got stuck in India, they had canceled all the flights, couldn't get out of the Valley we were in to get back to Delhi. So this literally this like child shows up with a car and we just give him a huge stack of rupees. And I get into the back of this car and I think, well, 12 hours, I'm either going to be in Delhi or I'm going to be dead. Yep. Here I am. Sometimes it's just a risk you have to yeah. take. <laughs> and then, cause there's no, there's no, the language barrier. So, you know, as you're going through the mountains and you're in this tiny car and you're looking over the cliff and there's other cars that have not stayed on the road and have gone down the cliff. And then they stop the car yes. in the middle of the road and they get out of the road because there's some kind of restaurant that's like down a path, but you know, you're just sitting in the car like, okay, I'm either going to oh go to God, Delhi yeah. or I'm going to die. Yeah. I mean, like getting on those buses in Nepal to go to like the start of the circuit, like you're on this huge, what's what's essentially a school bus and the bus is rocking back and forth on this rocky road on the side of a cliff. And there's people who are up on the top, there's goats tied to the top. And like every once in a while, everyone at the top of the bus will jump off because they are convinced the bus is about to go off the side. Um, yeah, not like something I really want for my son, but also like what a cool adventure that was. <laughs> I don't know. I did. He, I did hear that the uh, the safest place was to actually ride on top of the car as opposed to in in the car. 
So you could jump if you need yeah. to. Oh my God. Uh, All right. All right. Let's rewind a little bit um, and come back into, um, let's, I guess, before we get to air violin, let's talk about um, your running. Uh, I heard that you grew up in quite a competitive, you had some competition going on with your siblings. So how do you get into sports? Oh, yeah. yeah, we all just... It kind of was just what you did. Um, so we all played soccer, big soccer town. I think pretty much everyone played soccer. Um, but yeah, just kind of like kind of like your classic suburbia um, scene in upstate New York. So lots of soccer, basketball. Um, and then my brother, who's five years older than me, and my sister, who's three years older than me, got into track and cross country. And kind of like anything else, like you do what your older siblings do and like you see that they're really good. So it's like, well, if they're good, then I'm good. <laughs> it's not always the case. Um, but yeah, it just, it, we're so competitive with each other that it instantly became like, okay, well, if you got this place at this invitational, then I will top it next year. And um, so it was fun. It's a, Healthy com- competition, I suppose. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna hope. <laughs> How do you think that um, has informed you as like a professional, a creator, a mom? Like having that strong will, because you need a strong will to compete. You need a strong will. Um, yeah, I mean, it's probably. I'm competitive with almost everything, um, but then there are some things that I don't care at all about. And one of them, I should not admit on record, but one of them is being the best physical therapist that I can be. (laughs) I rode the wave through PT school of like, I slept through more classes than I was awake in. I I would do, like, I would just like, like um, cram before, I was very, very good at multiple choice questions. So I would just cram the night before and I would like, do well enough on the tests. I was surrounded by incredibly competitive classmates who were so type A and I'm just, as much as I'm like competitive and like have like a will, like I'm not, or drive, like I'm not type A. I'm probably somewhere in between, you know, but I'm not like, I I don't make lists. (laughs) I associate everyone who's type A with making lists. I don't make lists. Um, So yeah, so like, I, while most things I do, like I want to succeed at, I don't necessarily, I'm not a perfectionist by any means. Um, so, which I think also just helps me be more relaxed because I can't imagine trying to be a perfectionist and also try and be funny. Cause there's kind of no, there's, there is no perfect funny person. So I don't know, maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, but yeah, I think that like, and then in terms of being a mom, I mean, certainly not trying to be a perfect mom. (laughs) I'm just trying to survive day to day. (laughs) Yeah, so it's kind of like just kind of keep on keeping on. (laughs) Did um did that did so there's no perfectionism or or um attachment to the goal when you were running as a runner, you know, early on in definitely early on. Um I wouldn't, I wouldn't definitely like, um, competitive in terms of like wanting to be the best that I can contribute to the team. I really loved cross country, like far more than track, but I loved cross country because I think it's like the ultimate team sport. Um, and so I, even though I was like technically trying to like win the section or win the state and like it was an individual effort. It was also that my number would be the lowest on the scoring um, tally. And so I think I kind of lost my edge a little when I got to college. (laughs) Um, I think I definitely kind of succumbed to, you can't be, you can't be competitive in everything. I think that's also um, something I learned really young is like, there was no way for me to go all in on being a division one athlete. And I was in a doctorate program. There's just, you can try, but like my mental health probably would have taken a toll. And I got to say my mental health has always been spot on. 
prioritize that more than anything, probably too much so, but I, um, got to always make sure that I'm happy and level. (laughs) And I was like perfectly comfortable with like, like cutting corners when I needed to, to just like preserve myself. Um, if that makes sense, but for running like in high school, I was definitely more intense. And then I got to college and I kind of backed off a little bit. Um, with anything like competitive like that, of course, there were times where like I was in over my head and feeling the stress of it all. But, um, I don't know. I learned pretty early on that it just wasn't, I knew I didn't have like a future as a professional runner. And I don't even think I knew that was a thing that could be done. Um, but I also just like, I'm a realist. Mm -hmm. And so I can look at the logic of it and be like, all right, these are my times. Like, these are the times like I, I wasn't competing at the like NCAA championship. So clearly pro pros were like not in my future. And I don't know. I just was like, okay, cool. Well, this is where it will end. <laughs> well, it's great that you can be that have that relationship though. Be okay with it. Like be a, be a, a strong, thriving, determined athlete, but also be okay with whatever the outcome is not. And I guess that's, I guess that's not being a perfectionist. Right. And you can look at it as even with your videos, like a sense of like just having fun with it and it doesn't have to be completely, you know, 100% dialed in. It's okay if, if there's some things that just don't line up. It's having that being okay with that. I think that's such a, it's not the norm. <laughs> it's not the norm is at least what I see with the athletes that we work with. Right. Right. And I, I think that's why I still have such like a healthy relationship with the sport and that I hope to like continue it for as long as my body will allow. Um, I like, and I think maybe I had to learn this the hard way and I just like have blacked it out, but I like have always had this like understanding that my worth as a human is not attached to my performance in terms of running or school or um, anything. It's like much more attached to like who I am as a person. And so okay, you're like, you're trying hard and you're getting out there. And it's, I can't even say I was trying my best. I've had so many reflections on like my college experience. And I'm like, man, man, if only I had like good nutrition and like I recovered, there was no such thing as recovery in college. Um, I, I was hungover. <laughs> <laughs> dehydrated. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I like, I like, what if I did, like, what if I did have all the tools? I don't think I would have as fun as much fun in college, but I also wonder like, what, what could I have done? Um, I also think I was in the wrong event, but that's like another discussion, but yeah, I, I forget where I was going with that, but I just kind of like, um, Yeah, I forget where I was. Going. Well, you're not attached. I think. No. I think. I think the the goal the goal in it yeah. is like. Yeah, look at that! Like you just watched my brain detach from this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> you just blacked out. <laughs> Lower green blacks out. <laughs> where does this um, like who are your influences, or maybe it's in your family outside of your family, but like this comedy, this ability to let things kind of roll. Um, your worth as a person is not tied to, you know, what you do in the site. Is it your parents? Is it a family member? Like, where does this come from? I don't know. I, I think about this sometimes because my parents are actually like pretty strict and like strict conservative Irish Catholic, um, wanted us all to succeed, get into a good college, get scholarships. Um, so I, I would say there was never like pressure, but there was this understanding of like, you will succeed and you won't do drugs and <laughs> you will not go to jail. Like those are like, those were things, um, that I kind of understood. Maybe it's cause I was the third, um, it didn't have to be explicitly said to me. It was more of like an understanding by watching the first two go through it. Um, I don't know. Cause like, I like my siblings and we're all very similar, but we're also different in that capacity as well. And, um, I think it's like, I think it may have just been like the friends that I've made along the way too. Uh, I talk 
on every podcast about how I am the least funny of all my friends. Like I am surrounded by brilliant, funny people who have a similar mindset. And some of them you would look at and you'd be like, yeah, that's a narcissist. But like, I think we're all just like really comfortable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're quick to call each other narcissists. Like we're really into ourselves, but I think we're just really steady and comfortable um, in our skin. And at this point in our life, especially like the age and being like young parents, most of us, it's just we're, we got to just let it roll. And I think that the when like the internet got introduced to us was just late enough that it didn't affect like those performance metrics. Like I look at like the biggest, most competitive years of my running career and there wasn't Instagram yet. Thank God. And I didn't have to like think about a caption. Like I would put up an aim away message, (laughs) but I don't think it's the same thing. Like I think some of these athletes feel like they need to post about their race and like tell you why they didn't succeed. And God, that would have been really hard for me. Um, So yeah, I think there's just like a confluence of things that have like kind of come together for me. And I have like an incredible husband, partner that like, he thinks I'm funny, but like not that funny. And I think that helps, you know, (laughs) like like, there's no ego boosting in this house. That's for sure. Um, And we all just like kind of like get by doing our best, just trying to be good people. And I think that's just the most important thing. So yeah, I'm just surrounded by good good people. So you've got this creative edge. Um, and I did hear in one podcast, or maybe you shared it with me, BJ, about, um, and I don't know if this came down from your parents, like maybe another avenue where you could uh, experience uh, success was becoming a musician, um, playing the violin. I don't know if you've blacked out about this, but um, <laughs> it doesn't sound like you were such a success at this. Yeah, no, it's not. See, like, not perfectionist. <laughs> a lot of things I did in high school, like I was on the, the class secretary. Like I did a lot of things as extracurriculars to get into the colleges that I wanted, you know? So like, I was not the best class secretary. I can tell you that. I don't even know if I even went to any meetings. <laughs> I don't know who wrote the notes. But so like I did orchestra so that it would look good. And like I did pit orchestra. So I was like in the theater group just so it would look good on my college applications. Um, so again, is it a show? Like maybe, like maybe this is, maybe my whole life has been one big bit. Uh, maybe I kind of like that. That's probably more accurate because I'm certainly not trying to be the best violinist. I'm certainly not trying to be um, class, pre- like notice how I didn't go for class president. I did not try. <laughs> I was prom queen. I think there was only like two people entered. <laughs> I don't understand. Prom was like, no, I wasn't prom king. I was not prom queen. Oh my gosh. Someone's going to come for me. I was homecoming queen. And like, we didn't really have a homecoming. So like, I think it was fake. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> did, was that a bit? Maybe. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Well, didn't Shakespeare say something like that? Like this, this life or this world is, uh, um, I'm doing cliff, cliff notes on Shakespeare. Um, like it's all like, like it's a theater. We're all, we're all performers, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. I very much agree. I mean, we're in a simulation guys. This conversation's not even Mm -hmm. happening (laughs) and it's already done at the same time and it hasn't even happened yet. (laughs) I actually firmly agree with all that. That's why you go back to like, it's all a joke. It's all a joke. <laughs> it's not real. None of it is real. So do we need to lighten up a little yeah. bit as a whole, as a society? Um, I never like to tell people what they should do. Mm. I like to think people like have it within them. Um, life is really hard. And some people's life is a lot harder than others. And I like one of... Um, the things I think about often is just like straight up luck, luck and privilege. And those are the two things that I've like had a lot of. And so none of this around me like could have happened without those two things. And so, I mean, even like even leaving PT for a few months to pursue content creation, like 
that's not just luck. Like luck, yeah, in terms of like people watching my videos and brands wanting to pay for them, but it's the privilege of having a husband with a good job, you know, and 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 me taking this big risk. But it's not, if you look deeply, it's not that big of a risk because if I make no money next month, we'll still be able to pay our mortgage. So I don't let like any podcast really go by without me stating that and like being like, Hey, I'm well aware. And um, so like when people are like, should we laugh more or should people quit their job and pursue their passion? I'm like, oh, probably not. Like (laughs) I'm actually like someone who's like really good at clocking in and clock it out and like getting my paycheck and then using the money from that paycheck to live the life that I want to live. That's what I did for PT for the last 12, 13 years. Um, I loved a lot of aspects of my job, but I also hated a lot of it. And so, but I'm totally fine with clocking in and out and making that money so that I could go, you know, to New Zealand. So I don't know. Everyone's a little different. Some people think they like need to like live their whole life pursuing their passion and making money off of it. And I, I'm actually a little nervous entering that space right now because I think that um, I'm afraid that I'm going to start like disliking comedy because it's now my form of income. Mm-hmm. So there is like, there's like a little hesitation yeah. in that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, there's both sides to it. There's something that you really love. So, you, you know, in my instance, like triathlon, like I just love it so much. So when I start to coach people now, I'm, now I'm taking that element of really being responsible for other people's performances and, and health and, and then am I, am I so consumed with it where I lose the identity of myself as an athlete or what it is that I love about it? So when I had the, the eight to five job, it was like, oh my God, this is a gift because I can do my job and then I can be triathlete and love what I do after it. Um, now that content creation is your gig, like, do you have restrictive hours and do you have like a frame, you do, a framework of keeping this separate from, from maybe your life? Yeah, I... Started that like immediately, and I'm super grateful that I did. So I don't open Instagram or TikTok until 8:30 in the morning, and it's done at five. And I occasionally pop on when like like my husband is in Texas this week, right? So I'm just like home alone, and after the kids go to bed, I'll find myself scrolling. But I'm, I try really hard to just like, I don't answer emails. I don't, I, I try and like my, my husband has a box, like an actual physical box that he puts my phone in. <laughs> he like tucks it into bed. <laughs> and that's typically at 7.30 at night. And so we have a couple hours together, um, even if we're just watching TV. But like I, along with a lot of people, have that bad habit of scrolling while watching TV, like while watching a show. And then I'm like, oh, wait, what did he say? And he's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like, give me that phone. Um, so, yeah, I've that was one of the things I wanted to do immediately because social media is so easy to do 24-7. And, and I've also like acknowledged, like, I'm not one of those creators who puts out one, two, three videos a day, stories, and is constantly kind of responding to comments and stuff. I try and just do two videos a week. I do my best to comment on the comments or the DMs, which are more than I would have ever thought. And, um, I try, you know, and, and, but also like the second I find myself kind of resenting the app, I'm like, let's just put it away. Like people tend to get upset if you don't respond to their DM, but I'm, I don't owe anyone anything. (laughs) I just don't. And, and if you're upset with me for not responding to your message, I'm sorry, but I, I, I don't feel bad. I don't, (laughs) I'm not losing sleep over it. I think that's a gift. I, you know, I think a lot of people hold back out of fear of judgment, you know, judgment of others, uh, or this haste to return a text right away. You know, like we had a text this morning and I was like, don't like, just don't respond right now. Like just, just, um, just give it a minute. Just give it a minute. Like let's, let's finish our breakfast. Let's finish our coffee. You know, it wasn't even like a big 
deal thing. It was just, we don't have to respond right this second. Like, let's finish this conversation that we're having right here, right now is the most important thing. Um, what, what's like the bravest one you've ever put out where you're like, Ooh, and I know, you you know, it seems like you roll with it pretty well, but you're, you're also human. Like, has there been one where you're like, "Uh Oh, Um, should I have taken that part out? And I left it in. Okay. I have two. So, 99% 99% of my stuff is like G-rated, super cheesy, kind of corny running content, right? So like, I'm never too worried about what I'm putting out. Um, <clears throat> the one, the catcalling one was like a little, I, I just knew where it was going to go. Like it's, people are so predictable in the best and worst ways. So like I knew that initially people would think it's funny. And then if it built up traction, I knew that's when the trolls would come in and be like, this isn't funny. <laughs> um, which is exactly what happened. And actually to this day, I haven't read any comments from that video since I released it. So because once I saw the first handful um, that were, and it's totally fine if they're like, this isn't funny. You're not funny. Like that actually doesn't bother me. But when people are like, like they they were trying to be kind of like sexist back to me and being like, like calling me sexist and like, how dare you yell at other people? Like two wrongs don't make right. I was like that, those were annoying me. So I just had to, and being like, and I was getting DMS from women and, um, being like, my husband is a really nice man. And if you, if he was in that video and you came up behind him and pretended to cat call him, it would have been very upsetting because he would never have cat called you. And I'm like, yeah, fuck everyone. Fuck you and your your nice husband. <laughs> I just, I can't, I'm not going to, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, if I was ever, and a, a few of them I responded and I was like, you know what? I've been cat called so many times in my life, like an endless amount. Every woman I know, every single one has been cat called at some point in their life or made like felt uncomfortable. And do you know how many times these nice men have watched me be catcalled and never like, I don't expect people to like jump in and be like the hero, but even just like a, Hey, are you okay? Like, like, or like, um, Hey, I I saw that. Like, that was really fucked up. Like, do you want me to like run with you? You know, like something or like just a simple acknowledgement, but instead countless men have instead just stood there and watched it happen and kept on walking because they don't want to interfere, which again, I also understand, but I, I can't get down with those. And then, um, actually the one that I posted today. So I posted a, a story today about, uh, poop. <laughs> it was a parenting story that happened in my house, um, where one son, who is not potty trained, pooped on the floor and the other one stepped in it. And I have been pretty um, vocal about keeping your kids off social media. Um, and especially like for me, it's just not, it's it that hasn't felt right. So like I used to put them on my Instagram when it was private. Since it's grown, I took them off and I don't really, I, I speak about them. Like people know I have them. Um, but I feel uncomfortable with people knowing exactly what they look like and essentially me telling their story. And so it's their life and they can't give me consent for certain stories. And so I actually grappled with this one a lot and I may end up taking it down because I'm like, is this my story or is this his story? Like I have to constantly play Mm -hmm. that game of being like, I, I don't want him to be like 12 and on the internet and see the story about how he stepped in poop when he was four. Is he mortified? Like, granted, he's not in this video, but like, you know, like I, I don't want it to ever affect him or both of them um, or have that like Truman Show effect of us like putting their lives on on the internet and truly not having any idea where the digital footprint ends up. And so... um yeah, I, 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 I'm still wrestling with it and it's been up for like eight hours and I'm still like, should I take it down? I don't know. It's such a funny story. <laughs> it's less about him. It's more about like what I did as like the reaction to the poop. But still, I, I feel a little uncomfortable with it for sure. The, um, 
on the catcalling one, the you know, he did the follow up video. Did you were you planning to do that, or were you did you just feel compelled to like, guys, this is how it really went down? Like, I felt I was not planning on it. I thought like I would get like a few like ha 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 likes, and then of course it it shifted, and so and then like. I feel really lucky. I've like very quickly like um, developed this community, right? I feel like I have a little section, a little safe section of the internet and the people who follow along are awesome. And so, but it's like funny because like if if someone comes for me, I now have a pack of wolves that will go for them. And that's kind of how it felt. Like people were fighting my battle because I was just choosing not to look at the comments, but they were like, I'll go to war on this. <laughs> and so I was like, for the sake of everyone's mental health, like, let me just put a follow-up video. Um, and I also just really like it um, when creators remove the fourth wall. I think it's fun um, when you see how something was made or... Um, you get like a little bit of like a behind the scenes. So like I won't do it on every video, obviously, but like for ones like that, I just think it's fun to just like hear like what was going through the creator's mind while they were making it or what the inspiration was. And so, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was so awesome. The dumpster, I, I think that was my, the dumpster, the garbage man, I think was, was, my, was my favorite piece of that. Um, how do you find inspiration? I was just trying to do their job. I know, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you find inspiration for, I mean, there's so much content. We, I mean, we're from Massachusetts as well. I mean, there's countless, countless things to, to focus on. How do you, how do you, how do you select topics or? Um, they just kind of come to yeah. me when I'm usually when I'm running actually. Um, and I actually have gotten to a point where at first I was kind of consulting friends and like, like some people will text me and be like, what about this? What about this? And and they all have like full-time jobs, but they're just enjoying this ride as much as I am, you know? Um, but again, when you're surrounded by runners, there is like endless amounts of point of views and, con- and content ideas. Um, but yeah, I, I have a few friends who help me like flesh out content. And um, this, this is actually like one major perk about, entering like the last few months is I'm getting paid enough to actually pay my friends to help me write. So um, that's been really cool. And um, just being able to like, I like being a videographer for a little while, it's like you, it's really nice to pay someone for their services, you know? And like, even if they're our good friends, like if they're contributing to something that's making me money, I will always pay them, you know? Um, So now I have like, what I call a little like writer circle, <laughs> just like, like very informal, but it's so much more fun than me trying to do these on my own. Still, I would say 85% are me just like coming up with an idea, going into the backyard with my camera. Um, but the more scripted ones uh, with like more characters involved, um, <laughs> some of my friends are just better at the bigger concepts. And then I can write the script and then they help me with the edits. Um, of like that joke was a like a, a B minus, so take it out. Like we only keep B plus or up, you know. So like if a joke just isn't that funny, it gets cut, you know. And so um, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. And like I just want to bring more people into the mix because, like I said, being alone with your camera all day is like kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like I'm watching these edits, being like, "Yep, this is funny." Like it's because it's just me. Like what makes something funny is usually being surrounded by other people who are laughing. So that's fun. So you were, uh, you know, competitive runner in high school into college and now you're, um, focusing on this and you've got two, two children and you're married and you have a mortgage and you have a writer's circle and all of that. What is running? Like what is right? I know it's, that's big time. Uh, what's running to you now? Like, uh, running is, um, a release. It is stress reduction. It is my, sometimes the only time of day I'm outdoors. Um, so I'm still mostly a morning runner, but so is my husband. He's a cyclist. So we trade every other day. Um, so that everyone gets a little bit of that morning sun. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, 
It's also like for a long time, running to me was just straight up community. It was like where my friends were. But in this season of life right now, it's hard to connect um, schedule wise uh, consistently. So I'm doing a lot of solo miles out there. Um, but I would love to get back to having a small crew. That's just like, is there anything better than like knowing the street corner that your friends will be at, at like five 30 in the morning? You know, it's just like, it's the absolute best. Um, so hopefully I can get back to there when life is a little bit less hectic. Um, but yeah, it's, I am feeling more like myself. I'm about 20, 20 months postpartum, 22 months postpartum for my second. So, um, it takes a while. It takes a while to like feel like yourself again. So I'm finally getting there and I'm actually running Paris. I'm planning to run Paris, um, in like two months and I haven't started training yet, but I have a really good, I like, uh, <laughs> my, um, I want to do more speed work heading into it. I have a solid ish base. So I am like excited to like, I'm going to do the Napa, uh, half, which is incredibly flat in March. And I want to rip it and like, see what my body can do. Um, uh, probably get injured. And yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be really fun, <laughs> but it's time. Like it's time for me to start doing workouts again and like really challenging myself because there's so much joy in that. I've been cruising coasting. I have been coasting for five years since before I had my first. So I'm ready to like put some challenging stuff back in there and then I'll probably get pregnant again. (laughs) (laughs) How do you, um, so you've, you've, you've got a plan. You're going to, you're going to do some more speed. You're going to get back at it. You're going to do all these things, right? Like we talk all the time about like what we're going to do on Monday or what we're going to do after, you know, we get back from vacation or what we're going to do when we get the promotion. How do you bridge inspiration to action? Oh, um, I mean, I think for me, action comes before inspiration. Like, I think that I just need to do. And once I start grinding, then it's, I'm like, okay, this is what I'm currently capable of. Let me aspire to do the next, but like a little, like one step ahead. But like, I don't know, for me, like whenever I'm in a slump, whenever I'm feeling like not like myself, I just need to start moving, start doing. And like, even when it comes to work, if I'm like, in like a creative slump and I'm like, oh, I don't know. Well, I just, just start sitting down. And I just start writing, 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 and hoping that something comes from it. Um, that if I, if I think about something or if I set goals, like I'm not a goal setter at all. Um, because for me, it's just setting these expectations that I may not achieve. And then what, what was the point? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking, I bet I'm talking to two very big goal setters, but <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Um, it's very beneficial to many, but it has never been my, my mode of, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I I think just like getting going, I get going first. Yeah. You don't need to buy that, that new watch to, uh, actually start doing the speed work that you're supposed to do leading into this half marathon. Yeah. Cause you talked about that. That's one thing I, I just wanted to, to sneak in there was like, there's, you're not so tied to the GPS watch or, or, you know, miles per pace, just all the numbers and data and information, which serves a purpose and has a place in, in the sport. But, but which have been your experience? Have you had that attachment and now you're, you're, you're just don't really care so much about it? Or is it just something you're just, no, oh, just whatever? Yeah, I think, well, I think one huge benefit of like, of going up when I was at my most competitive state was pre-GPS watch. And I think that that was really great um, because like our non-workout days were truly chill days. Um, Strava was introduced after college um, and I lived in San Francisco for seven years and I'm assuming we were some of the earliest adopters because of where Strava is located. Um, And so anyways, everyone was on Strava within the first year of inception and it became an Addiction. I wouldn't say for me, but just like in general. So it's like tracking the mileage. Like you would get to the end of the 
week and be at 38 miles. And you're like, well, I might as well just go do two more to hit 40. And it's just to like see your weekly mileage hit like an even, um, your, your rest days, uh, your chill days. I couldn't chill. I'd be like, okay, well, um, I should probably doing, be doing like eight minute miles because it's my chill day. And I'm, I'm rocking 645s just because I know people are looking at my Strava and what is the point of that? Like now I'm doing a workout five days a week. Like That's not going to help me. So I learned pretty quickly. Um, that wasn't going to work for me. And then I have used GPS watches. They do help me every once in a while. I have a couple that I like plug in every so often. Um, but I, there are two things that I'm really good at. And one is I know my pace I I know what I'm doing and like in terms of like internally. So like, I don't need the watch to tell me I'm running a seven thirty or a seven twenty. I know the difference. Like it's just been, I guess it's a gift, <laughs> but no, it's a skill I've acquired over the years. And I think it's because we all knew our paces before GPS watches, right? It's like how we learned how to run before we had the data. So um, anyways, I have an old Timex, like an Ironman Timex that I use that's like just for time. And sometimes I'll start Strava and just put it on my phone and put it in my pocket. Um, if I'm like trying to figure out mileage wise, like, oh, was that like a six mile loop or a 6.25 mile loop? But for the most part, like... Um, I'm just like not attached to data at all. And I'm at a point where like if I do hit 38 miles at the end of the week, I don't need to hit the next two. Like I'm totally fine without. Um, I've really gotten better at workout days are for workouts and chill days are for chill runs and really relishing in the in the nine minute mile pace and knowing that's what my body needs. And um, so yeah, I, I, I did actually use a heart rate monitor for the first time recently. <laughs> Because <laughs> I thought I was like legit going into like heart failure. <laughs> I'm not. Um, but I was like, I felt like my heart, because I a lot of the, the training I do is effort-based. And I just felt like my my heart was beating out of my chest. And I was like, but I'm chilling. So like I didn't understand there was a, a there was something that wasn't lining up. So I got a heart rate monitor for it. Um, turns out I was just out of shape guys. (laughs) It wasn't too much Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) So what, uh, what's the vision for the future? Is there a vision Mm. for the future? Nah, no, I don't, it's kind of like the same with goal setting. I don't have a vision board or anything, but when I do think like this year coming up, um, kind of starting to put things on the calendar and travel is something that I've always loved and I'll always love, but I'm much more selective about now, um, because of the little guys. And so I kind of like look at each opportunity with, okay, is this like, is this Paris or, <laughs> um, so just like in terms of what feels right and like length of trip, um, we used to make fun of like, I used to be a big part of November project and we used to make fun of our friend Boyan, who was one of the co-founders and is one of the co-founders. And, um, he used to fly in on like a Friday morning and leave like Friday afternoon. Like, like it was wild. And we would be like, Oh boy. And like, you could at least spend the night. Like he'd fly from like Boston to California and back in the same day. And it was cause he had two little kids and it was before I did. And I'd be like, Oh my gosh. But now I totally get it. You know, it's like you do what you can to like do a good job at your job and to like have a good time with it. But also like you want to be home as much as you can too. So, um, that's to kind of strike that balance. Um, I have absolutely no goals with running. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. Um, just want to be clear about that. Um, no goals with running. Uh, I really, I don't even have like race aspirations. Like I kind of hope I want to do more trail stuff. That that's something I would love to get on the calendar. Um, and I just would like to have a mic in my hands more often. Like I, I love the internet and all, but I would much rather be in person doing stuff. So um, working actually with a coach right now, a speaking coach to get better 
and kind of like create some sort of like stand up slash keynote slash something that would like work well in the run world. Um, Crying, create my own, my own path in the run industry. So we'll see. Yeah, well, I think you're well on your way, and I for sure see you on a stage with uh, whether whether you believe it or not, uh, a packed auditorium of people who are just like <laughs> hungry little dogs <laughs> waiting for more Laura Green. Um, well, just so you know, if you're in that front row, I'm excited to make fun of the front row. So just <laughs> maybe get be in the second or the third. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> I'll be in the front. Um, but thank you, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, love talking with you. It's been great to connect. Um, um, and uh, yeah, if people if people don't know about you now, yeah. that's just I mean, crazy. So let's just tell those sure let's don't. tell those crazy people oh, how they can get more of you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my rambling. I think that was like extra rambly. That was probably the most rambly I've ever been. So that's great. <laughs> Do you guys feel honored? <laughs> Very much so. So they can find you on Instagram, right? You're just Laura Green. You're just Laura Green. I'm Laura McGreen. McGreen on Instagram, yeah. Because my maiden name is McCluskey, so that's where I am. Awesome. Well, we can't cool. come find We me. can't wait to see um, what else you come out with. I think even just in our conversation, there's probably some good material that may, may uh, I don't know if you've done one on the Strava addiction, but uh, maybe that's something brewing. Uh, we love watching you, love seeing you share your gifts and can't wait to see where it goes. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you both for having me. This was great. Mm-hmm.